Hi, this is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. And in fact, today's guest, Connor Habib, is the very feature of that interview. Yes, yeah, so if you want to watch it, well, you can go do that too. Yes, you can. So go check it out at authormagazine.org. And we are funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association. They are supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. Got a good conference coming up in September. So here it is, people. It's coming. Probably can still sign up. I'll be there. I don't know all the teachers who are going to. Lots of great teachers. We always get the best teachers and agents and editors. I'll be there. Uh, I think you should be there. Go learn about it at pnwa.org. Yeah, so like I said today, Connor Habib, wow, what an interesting life this guy has led. We barely even touched on all of it. We talked a lot about, he's got he's a debut novelist, got a new book out. But we talked about uh, a little bit about identity, about genre. And, you know, this is a guy whose story was criticized by his MFA teacher, the one that eventually became this novel. Anyway, this is a guy who 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 has a podcast where he just wants to have great conversations. So, of course, it was a great conversation. Uh, well, anyway, Connor Habib is the host, uh, as I mentioned, of Against Everyone with Connor Habib. He is a author now, a lecturer, and a sex workers' rights advocate. He gives lectures around the world about sexuality, spirituality, pornography, science, and art. He served for two years as the elected vice president of the Adult Performer Advocacy Committee and is a member of PEN America. His essays and poetry uh, have appeared in dozens of print and online publications, including CR Fashion Book, The Stranger, Vice, Salon, Slate, and several anthologies, and Hawk Mountain is his debut novel, and Wow, what a great conversation, and I'm so glad I get to share it with you. Enjoy. Well, all right, Connor Habib. Connor, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> well, I'm okay. You, my friend, I hope you're feeling pretty good. Here it is. Hawk Mountain. Yeah. Good book. Not as of this recording... Um, this dropped a week ago in in the U.S. Is that right? July fifth, no. I thought. No, it's August. July. God, Maddie, it's August. <laughs> <laughs> my, my my mind. Yes, a month ago. Yeah, a month ago. That's what you meant. Yes, that's what I meant. Weird. Okay, so it's been a month. How are you feeling? How's it been going? Oh, really good. I mean, the you know the U.S. tour was great. I did. A uh, little over two weeks in the U.S. and yeah. almost all the events were completely packed, which I'm told is nice. unusual for a it debut is. novelist. <laughs> and yep. uh, and then came back and I did a bunch of events in Dublin, which were all also packed. And now like there's a little bit of a breather, and so you know you get into that space where you're like, you know, you get all that rush of like attention, and then you're like, okay, net wait no what do i do you know that's right. <laughs> so that's right so i'm just kind of you know and you and the answer is you rest but i'm not always capable of doing that and i have a podcast that you know i put out something every week so i don't yep. really have rest either but you don't you know. look like a guy who rests to me i don't feel rest <laughs> off of you at this point in your life at this point in your life 
Yeah. You've been kind of going and going and going. Exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So part of, I mean, part of the reason your, your shows were, your events were packed is because you've written an awesome book, but I suspect also, like you said, you have a podcast. So unlike some novelists, debut novelists, you have a, what we call in the biz a platform. Yeah. 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 Uh, when did you start? And it's, it's, it's Connor beat. Wait, I'm sorry. I got, I had that. I just memorized your, and I've forgotten it. Remind me, what's the name of the podcast? It's everyone against Connor Habib. That's what it no, is. No, it's against everyone with Connor Habib. Oh, he against everyone it. with Connor. Sorry. I'm sorry. So against everyone. So when did this podcast start? Uh, about five years ago. So five years and almost 200 episodes ago now. So that's yeah. awesome. And it's been going great. And so what was the inspiration for that? I mean, that was basically, I, you know, there were two things. One was that I just kind of, was lonely. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I yeah. had all these ideas that I wanted to talk about, and I had lots yeah. of friends who were doing interesting things, and so I just started inviting people on to talk about ideas with me. But the idea was the idea behind that was, you know, to have sort of big talk instead of small talk, and yeah. um, to really just go for it, you know, which is what yeah. I pretty much do on almost every episode. Not every single one, but almost everyone. Just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. And then, you know, everybody's like, what are you talking about? And then I sort of pull, <laughs> pull back. <laughs> well, so t- big talk. I do. I, I love it. It's part of the reason I do this show as well. Mm. Um, define that to me, for me. What does big talk mean to you? Well, I think it's just like that point where, you know, conversation snaps off and like the topic gets diverted or whatever, Of course, small talk is vital and it's really important. And, but I found that the stopping point a lot of times was not where I wanted to stop. Like, so, you know, all the questions that people feel uninhibited asking when they're say smoking pot or whatever, like. Or in an intimate relationship, maybe, or right. They're feeling. Yes. And those, exactly. Yeah, like where yeah. where people find like the space to actually explore, those are really those are questions I think we should all be taking on because oh, they yeah. really tell us what it means to be human, but they get kind of downgraded or quarantined into these certain environments where people feel you know okay to ask them yeah. and usually to sort of laugh about them afterwards. I mean, I do. There's a lot of laughter on the show, but it's like still taking all of that seriously. You know, I will tell you, Connor, I've, I've reflected on this, but I married to the person I am because mm. of the conversation, because of where, because it, when I met her when I was 17, mm-hmm. uh, I, I didn't recognize it, but where we could go in conversation, even at that time, young as we were, and probably still shallow in a way as we were, was different mm-hmm. than where I had gone. And in retrospect, my conversations with her was what really taught me what I was interested in. Yeah, and it's been the most important conversation I've had ongoing for 30 years. So uh, I think I'm all in. I, I'm in total agreement with you. And I I think that it's it's, it's relevant for writers because I, I just wrote a piece about this, that we're social beings first. Right. So we've all been at the cocktail party, the brunch, the whatever. And the conversation doesn't go where we want it to go, where we feel unsatisfied. We don't say what we wanted to say, or we thought one thing, but said another. Mm-hmm. And in writing, you really, at least in writing for sure, uh, you're willing to do it in conversation in these formal settings. You can go where you want to go. Hopefully you can take that right. conversation where you want it to. Yeah. Does that yeah. seem fair? 
Yeah. And I think, you know, writing and conversation, they're both free. I mean, they're free in the sense that anybody can is <laughs> able to it can can do it for free, right. you know, without paying money, but also you can go wherever you want with it. And it can surprise you and it can have completely unthought of like depths or it can be boring or it can be, you know, I mean, it just goes all over the place. And I think that that's, um, you know, a, a big connection between the two. Oh, I've always thought that writing, it was when I understood that the act of writing was a conversation, that the act mm. of writing was a relationship that I began to really understand it as opposed to just something I was doing. I was having a relationship with myself and then ultimately with the reader, although I'm not there physically for it, you know, right. I mean, yeah. they finish it. So, so, all right. Hawk Mountain is your first published novel. Mm -hmm. uh, is it your first attempted long form piece? Um, well, so, sort of yes and sort of no. I mean, it's the first one that I've finished. I mean, I, I started writing a novel when I was like eight years old. Not, right. not this one. Uh, obviously. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> um, probably not, but yeah, I'm not like, that would be like even beyond like Donna's heart, like gaps between books. Um, <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I mean, I've started novels like again and again since I was a little kid. So, yeah. um, you know, the closest I came to you know finishing something else i wrote about 200 pages of another novel but then i just stopped it wasn't how old were you when you wanted it to started do. that one what's that how oh, old that were was, you that was probably when i was like in my early 30s okay yeah. all right so you were getting to the age where you actually might write a book but right it didn't happen but you so you eventually came to short form stuff um it sounds like short stories but also essays and and you're doing periodicals. When did you start doing that work? Yeah, I think that that's, you know, I did a lot of that because people actually commissioned me to do that work. So that was probably around 2000 and I don't know. I mean, I wrote I, 2007, maybe I wrote an essay um, about getting beaten up by my ex-boyfriend. And um, that actually became like a sort of like I like a viral kind of hit mm, essay. Yeah. If you ever did write anything about me, I wanted to be about love. And in right. fact, it's still like I still get email about that because wow. um, Carmen Maria Machado like it in included it. Machado included it in the back of her um, memoir as wow. an influence on the memoir. And so I think like that moment kind of turned things for me, where people started asking me to write essays, right. and mostly the essays ended up being about. Um, that mostly the essays ended up being about uh, sexuality, sex, um, sex work, that kind of stuff. But I also ended up writing, you know, an essay about um, my mom dying and wrote an essay about time and so on and so forth. Right. Did you, did you, when you wrote the piece, um, the first piece, was that just something that you had to get out kind of? What was the impetus behind that? Yeah, that was, I mean, I was keeping a blog at the time mm. and, you know, my idea with that was just write, you know, write until someone pays you to write, you know, just put out your own stuff. And right. So that was, you know, that was how that worked. I, yeah, I, I had the essay sort of kicking around in me for a long time. Um, and in fact, there's part of that essay where, you know, my, the, the guy that I was with had said to me like, oh, you're just going to write about this, aren't you? You know, he said that to me in, in really? 2007 and, or 2006, Gosh, I can't even remember now, which is actually a really good thing. Yeah. Um, 
you know, yeah, he was like terrified that I would write about it, that I would sort of turn him into a thing. And, you know, yeah. that's, you know, the sort of final line is like, no, I won't. And then I did, <laughs> but um, because I, I couldn't have found the words for a long time. And then, then I did years right. later. Was it, um, I, I write about my own life. That's sort of what I write about. And I always find it therapeutic in that when I make it, when I try to make it a story that could be of use to somebody else, like it's not, I don't see this confession. I see this trying to turn my life into mm. something of value for a person I'll never meet. Does that resonate with you? Um, I don't you know. I mean, yeah, I'm not sure I would frame it that way. I think that there's like, um, there's some issue where it's like, you know, like the whole thing about not thinking about the people that are going to read it. Is right. Really oh, I'm all important. for that. I'm all for that. Yeah. You know, so finding that tension, you know, um, but also like, everybody's always imagining someone reading what they've written. Even if you're writing your diary, it's always like, right. you know, there's the big other, you know, sort yep. of that concept from psychoanalysis that someone's looking onto your life and that you're performing for that imagined being. And so, yeah, I mean, and is that you or is that not you? I mean, that's a whole other right. question. So, yeah. So, all right. So you're writing these pieces and I assume you're enjoying doing it, having your, you know, getting a, having a voice and, communicating on that level with people, right? I, I'm hoping you're liking it on some level, mm. you just keep doing it. Um, when did, was, was the idea of a novel always bubbling around like, yeah, I'd like to get to, I'd like to write something in long form. Was that sort of always in your heart? Yeah. Although, um, you know, it sort of showed up and then disappeared, you know, like I said, I was doing it when I was a kid, but then, yeah you know, I went to an MFA program and they're really focused on short stories there. So I focused on that. And then I started getting paid to write essays. So, you know, maybe I should write a nonfiction book and so on and so forth. That's sort of breathing in and out. But the truth is wanting to write a novel was always there. It was just sometimes, you know, suppressed or repressed, you know, but yeah, it was always there. Were you intimidated by the concept of it or just didn't have a, a compelling idea? Because, you know, it's a because you know, look, if you went to an MFA program and if you're a literate guy and you like to read literate person, there is a mystique, I think, undeserved hanging over the novel that mm -hmm. that can that can influence our thinking about it. Did that affect you at all? Yeah, like especially in America, right? Like in yeah. Ireland, there's not as much of a mystique around writing a book because like everybody writes a book. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I mean, that's part of just the function of it being such a small place. But I mean, I think, yeah, I, did it intimidate me? I think I was always trying to find the right form. Um, yeah. You know, we're talking about Hawk Mountain. I wrote it as a short story in that MFA program. Oh. Um, oh. And... I mean, it was very, it was completely different, but the events right. in the story were the same mostly. Right. Right. Um, but I, you know, I brought it in and one of my fellow students said, you disgust me. He hated it. All and right. the professor refused to like comment on it, which was. What uh, the fuck? Drives yeah, me was crazy, that, was, Connor. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we, we can, yeah, I know we, we can pull that apart, but <laughs> ultimately probably good because that meant that they had no influence on the story. Right. And it, you know, and so I just kept thinking about it for almost 15 years. I moved to LA you know, in 2013 or something like that. And I was like, okay, 
uh, you know, like anybody who lives in LA, you think that the dumbest thing in the world can become a screenplay. And <laughs> right. often, often like hot tub time machine. You're right. right. You know, if it so, did, why not? Why not? Yeah, exactly. Not? So, I, <laughs> so I was like, gosh, I'm still thinking about that story. So I turned yeah. it into a screenplay, which didn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, and so like it had these two forms that didn't work. And I was like, should I make it a play? What should I do? And then finally, I was just like, just write a novel. And I did. And it took me, I mean, that Hawk Mountain took me about six months to write after that. It did. And, wow. you know, and it was, I mean, I had the whole, not all of it, but most of it laid out scene by scene. Right. So the, the, the structure play. and the screenplay remained largely in place. When yeah. You the novel. Yeah. And writing a screenplay is just such a great for me, I don't know how I'm ever going to write another novel without writing as a screenplay first, because it's, you get interior, exterior, day, night, you get the dialogue, you get, you know, like the tension that you have to hold in a screenplay and then you get to fill it in as, as a novelist later. And so I think, you know, it was finding the, it wasn't necessarily intimidated. It was just sort of figuring out if the novel was the right form for it. Right. Um, and it was, you know, I mean, just, yeah, it was. Yeah. Well, I, you, you have a great voice in this piece. I thought you had great command over, you know, a sentence to sentence storytelling, which is a very different thing. My experience writing screenplays is I was like, I come from prose and I started writing screenplays. I was like, oh, I see. My language doesn't matter really the mm-hmm. way I'm used to it mattering when I wrote prose. But now mm-hmm. you're back in that form. Um, essay is different than fiction. So, I mean, even though you would come from an MFA program, did you enjoy the narrative prose exercise of fleshing it out? Yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely. And yeah. it was, you know, some of my, one of the weird things was that that other novel that I wrote about 250 um, or 200, 250 maybe pages of was very funny and mm-hmm. I would find myself when I try writing fiction, it would turn really funny. But when I'd write nonfiction it was very, very serious. Mm. And so I, you know, when I turned to sort of writing the novel, I was like, how do I get that essay voice? Like, how do I get the essayistic voice instead right. of this sort of funny fiction voice? I'd really like to write one of those funny novels like sooner or later. Um, <laughs> but it'll be, it'll be a little while. Um, but I, I think that it was also like, there's this weird question of voice there where I couldn't access what would have gotten me through this novel until I sat down to start writing it too. And once I did that, it all kind of worked. I think, you know, to answer, you know, you're asking me about like, getting into sort of fleshing it out as a fiction writer, as a prose writer. And I think, um, you know, with the funny stuff, the tendency was to do so much through dialogue. There's tons of dialogue in this book, of course. But, you know, I think that it was in a sense kind of pulling away from that and leaning more into what the screenplay had offered Mm. Um, all the space around the dialogue that yeah. needed to be filled in and colored yeah. in, you know? Yeah. And I, I think that was really helpful. Yeah. And and so you did it in six months. The book had been sitting in you and sitting in you and sitting in you and you told it. And, sit, and yeah. did you, does when you think back on that six months, is in your memory, is it just like a, a fever dream or does it, is the, are there memories of like those hard nights and days where you're like, is this working or, 
how do you reflect on it? Yeah, not really. I love writing. I mean, I, I don't understand when writers say that they don't yeah. like it or they do everything they can to avoid it. I mean, I, yeah. I feel not myself if I'm not doing it. And I, um, so, you know, I, I would enter into the process. It was just like, great. Like, thank God. I'm just, my job today is to sit down for four hours and just write. And then I'm done and everything else is secondary. Now, of course, I had the podcast run, I had all these other things to run. So there was a, a, some stress around the time right. of it. But even like I went on vacation to Italy and I was in like, I was in Positano in this like tower above the sea. <laughs> and like, it was so beautiful and I should have been relaxing, but I was like, I could relax, but actually I'm not. I don't think of myself as a workaholic. I just really enjoy writing and I want to write this here, you know, and there are some bits about Italy in there because I was in Italy right. while I was writing it. So one of the characters, Livia is like in and out of Italy. And I was moving all around Italy at the time, like from Venice to Positano to Bologna uh, to Rome. And it just became part of the book because I didn't want to stop writing while I was on vacation. <laughs> ah, Shakespeare said, joy, soul lies in the doing. And I do think wow. that we that we like to focus on what we like to focus on. I would rather be someone who has something he loves to do than someone who just wants to relax all the time and mm. never has anything they want to actually do with their life. Because I don't think we're here just to sit still. <laughs> for yeah. Years. I mean, I guess being like a professional reader is the closest thing that you can do to being someone who just sort of sleeps. <laughs> all day you know or like i guess someone who like reviews movies or tv or something like that i mean and all those things are obviously very active but like there isn't really a job that's just sleeping is there i mean it's not there's no. not really a vocation of just sleeping so you could yeah. be a professional meditator maybe i guess that's it yeah but <laughs> like that. yeah so yeah, all right so you went out and you had full events which I, it's not just unusual for debut authors it's kind of unusual for a lot of all that i've i've mm. seen i've interviewed a lot of writers and i've gone seen them go over to their events afterwards and think this is a fabulous best-selling author and there's like 15 people there you know yeah, yeah. it's just the nature it's the it's the weird nature of book events i think in general but so you got people but what was it like what was the conversation speaking of conversation that's a you know unique experience you probably read some stuff but then i don't maybe you didn't most most authors do then what was the nature of the conversation with with the the audience. Yeah. I mean, there were lots of questions about trauma, um, mm -hmm. lots of questions about um, bullying because there's a lot of bullying in the yeah. book. Um, <clears throat> there were um, questions about school. Um, I'm trying to think of like, those were some of the more common ones. A lot of, I mean, the, the novel is alternately marketed in different places, different ways. Oh, so interesting. It's literary fiction on most shelves in the U.S., but it yep. can also find its way into the horror section yeah. or the crime yep. section. Yep. And here in Ireland and also then in the U.K. and Australia, it's being marketed more as literary crime or literary horror. Yeah. And I mean, I feel comfortable with it being anywhere, really. Um, I feel a little weird about it being 
on the horror shelf. Sorry, this will this is answering your question in a way, but that's okay. I, I feel a little bit weird about him being on the horror shelf, not because I mean horror is a huge influence on me, and I a lot of times call this a horror novel, and it's blurred by Clive Barker and yeah. Ramsey Campbell and Brian Evanson, who are all big, you know, horror writers, and Kelly Link, who's written some horror as well. But I think that it like if people go to the horror shelf and pick it up, you know, hoping that it'll be like the next person on the shelf, which would be Joe Hill, who's Stephen King's right. son, probably like yep. alphabetically, yep. they're not going to get the same experience. However, if they're open, I think they'll really love it. I just, I, I feel like if anything, I want to live up to that genre more <laughs> than mm. I think I did in the book. But I do think a lot of horror readers have been reading it and loving it. And then, of course, there's literary fiction readers who have just been like, oh, this is great. Yes, there's violence in it and there's something grotesque in it. But that's also in Jane Katia and Joyce Carol Oates and lots of other writers who just life. fit right onto the- It's in know. life. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Hopefully not in anybody's life that's reading this. Hopefully, but it what happens. happens. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my first take as soon as I started reading is like, uh, this is I would put this in literary fiction, regardless of what the events are. But the voice had that, mm -hmm. you know. I, I I do squirm a little bit as you know, even though that's sort of where I come from, and I I I feel like there's such judgment over all the different genres. Clearly, you don't hold it, and I applaud you for that. But there's a lot mm -hmm. of it should be this way, and this one's better than that, and this one, and I it kind of drives me crazy. It's more about I thought what your 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 story about about someone who is a fan of horror and going to a horror section and picking it up says a lot about how we genreify because it has to do with expectation and what do you yeah. think is going to happen when you read a romance novel, a science fiction novel. If I was a huge fantasy novel consumer when I was a teenager and I had an expectation. <laughs> and if it didn't meet it, that book went sure. back for the most part. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, me too. And I mean, I think that that's just kind of answering your question about like, what was the conversation? Yeah, like, a lot of people it? did ask me these questions about genre. Yeah. And some people were like, what is horror? Why did you choose to be yeah. influenced by horror when you wrote this? And again, just to say, like, one of the reasons also is like, because a lot of these genres aren't given enough space in the store. So if there is a horror shelf at all, it's very yeah. usually very small. Yeah. So like, I... You know, I had a, I just had a long conversation about this on, there's a podcast called This Is Horror. And um, it was like a two hour long conversation. Wow. And we spent a lot of time talking about like, is this good or is this bad? You know, what is, what are these classifications give to us? And I think that anybody who's into genre is constantly having that kind yep. of, yep. you know, conversation. And uh, I love and also think we need to do something about it. And I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm trying to, <laughs> I don't exactly know what it is, you know? It's, so it's really a marketing thing. It's it, it really evolved from marketing and just a, an easy way to help people understand what's going to happen. But the fact is when you sit down and write a book like you've done, if it's, if you're having an authentic expression, you don't, you don't, I think the genre stuff comes afterwards. You say, okay, I've just written this thing. Now, how, what can I tell people it is? I would think in general that that mm -hmm. is a truer way to create a work than saying, I'm going to write an up, up market contemporary literary novel aimed at women ages 13 to 15. I mean, I just don't think that's a way you can <laughs> really create something. I don't think, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but <laughs> I'm sure some people do, but I mean, yeah, I, I think also the book itself, like some of the themes of the book, another thing people asked me a lot about was like the sexuality of the characters. And, you know, in this book, I really try to make, make the sort of, I don't try to make the point, but the book, the book does make the point 
sort of on its own that like sort of nailing people down into these neat categories of who is what and what they desire and what they want and how that should, you know, how that leads to defining people as certain things, whether it's gay or straight or bisexual or whatever that these labels, which by the way, are not, you know, very old, they only date back to the, you know, sort of mid to late 19th century is Mm -hmm. like, I think, I think for me, like the challenge of these sort of marketing things is weirdly in a way like embedded in the themes of yes, sexuality and repression in the it novel is. because they end up being damaging but also could have been useful at the right moment right. so it's like i think that that's it's like are we doing more harm than good do we need these as a kind of medicine sometimes do we you know i mean it's all just it's all very confusing <laughs> hey i always say you know, my, my kids are in the label generation, you know, and I always feel like that's fine, but you, no one is, everyone is bigger than a label. I'm no one can fit in that. Nobody, nobody, nobody can fit in that box. I can't. Yeah. Sorry. It's impossible. Um, ah, Connor, interesting guy. Not surprising for a man who loves conversation. Uh, <laughs> you sh- I hope you're proud of this book. Uh, Thanks. I am. You yeah. should be. It's really good stuff. Uh, <laughs> you, no, seriously, you should be proud of it. Uh, I hope there's more in there. Hope there's more stories coming out. I feel like there's got to be. I don't know how there is. Yeah, there is. Good. All right. So I'm not done with you quite yet. What I'd like you to do, uh, you got your thinking cap on. You got your Deus Ex Machina cap on. (laughs) I want you to answer this question. Finish this sentence. If writing, all the writing you've done in your life has taught you anything, it's taught you what? Um allow yourself to be free in your imagination. I mean, your imagination is capable of producing anything. So allow it the freedom that it's owed. That is a good answer. That (laughs) is a good answer. Connor, thank you so much. This was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, great to talk with you. That was a good answer. I wasn't lying. Gotta let your imagination be, just look at, you are free, we're free, whether we want to admit it or not. The imagination, go anywhere, do anything, dream anything, just let it, let it baby. You know you wanna be free. Yes, you wanna feel it. Okay, that was a lot of fun, didn't I promise it? And it was, I wanna thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. Thank you, my friend, as always. And to all of you out there, hey, uh, you know, Thank you. Thank you for listening in and go find something you love to do and do it. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.